Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome back to Joe Jordan on The Big Interview. This is part two, and I know you normally only hear music from Beer Jacket on this podcast, but just bear with me for a second here. You'll understand, even if you've never heard this song before. The police are chasing them off. Congratulations, Scotland. Well done, boys. The late, great Arthur Monford summing up what it felt like to all Scots who love football on that night in 73 when that fabulous dark blue jerseyed Scotland with Bremner and Tommy Hutchinson and Willie Morgan and Big Jim Holton and Joe Jordan beat a wonderful, wonderful Czechoslovakia side to go through to the World Cup for the first time in, I don't know, just short of 20 years. And I don't think, maybe with the exception of beating Spain in 1985, I've enjoyed a Scotland match more since I was nine-year-old watching that wonderful game. Joe scored the winner after Big Jim Holton equalised, and that's one of the reasons that Joe is on this. I genuinely hope that you took memories or learning or fun from the first half of the interview with uh, (laughs) the Toothless Wonder because um, he spoke brilliantly about Leeds. This was the time that we changed the chip and talked to a man. There's only three guys in history, Uwe Saylor, Pele and Miroslav Klose, who scored in more World Cups than our Joe Jordan. He scored in three. And in 74 in Germany, that tournament that his goal against Czechoslovakia qualified our nation for, he either scored the goals or made all our chances or made that goal for Peter Lorimer against Zaire, made the chance, the famous chance that we talk about for Billy Bremner against world champions Brazil. Scotland go out unbeaten and they're 78 and 82 to talk about. A fantastic time to be a young Scot. 
And part of the reason that football inspired me and, and took a grip of me and hasn't let go ever since. Joe needed to go abroad, was desperately keen to experience football abroad and life abroad at a time when that was a different proposition than it is now. It was much more of an adventure, much harder to achieve. And he still loved and respected in Italy. And his exposition of a man who maybe is loved and respected still more than him, John Charles, is worth listening to this next hour on its own. He ended at Southampton. He talked about that. And Manchester United fans, I'm genuinely sorry. There is no reason that Joe's time at your club isn't talked about in this podcast. Other than them, we ran out of time, even at two hours. Joe had a dog to walk. And Rosie, you've heard during both sections of this interview, growling or disapproval at certain people that cropped up in Joe's stories. Rosie needed walking. I warned Joe before we started that if he didn't stop me, we'd talk all day. And we nearly did. In that chat, I hope there was enough to keep you happy, interested, to teach you things, to remind you of things, and to make the case that Joe Jordan is one of the British greats of my lifetime. Thanks for listening. If you'll indulge a passionate fan who's in Spain because I followed the Tartan Army to the 1982 World Cup, maybe the first time you really, really embedded yourself in my consciousness was against Czechoslovakia at Hamden, which was, at the time, it seemed to be an earth-shattering event. Mm. We were a Scotland player, hadn't qualified for the World Cup for years and years and years. We're playing a wonderful team with Nahoda, who stood out at the time, mm. and Perenka, who'd go on to brand a style of free kick only a couple of years later, when he won the European Championship for the Czech Republic, or Czechoslovakia against Germany. And you score, and it's a boys' own night, what was the build-up to that like? What was the experience like? Yeah, well, it was it was exceptional because of all the details that you've thrown there around the game, what it meant to Scottish football and to the nation, you know, because they had um, they had got so near and it hadn't happened, and that could be understood if more if if you knew what it meant to some of the players in the dressing room, you know, players that like Billy Bremner, Dennis Law, who had won and done everything in the game, personally and with their teams, but hadn't played in the World Cup. Now, for me, I was I was 21, I think, and I'd, I'd got myself into the, the Scotland squad with, with Willie Orman, and things were going well for me at, at Ellen Road at the time, when we were, the team were doing well. So that, obviously, that gave me an opportunity to compete for a place. So I... I I was there with, there was, it was quite a, a strong contingent of Leeds players either playing the game or were at the game that night. That is one little example how much it meant to footballers. I mean, we can talk about the fans. We, we know what it meant to the fans and the fans have got to know what it, it meant for the football player. It meant as much to them as it did to the fan. We had, for example, I think it was Gordon, Eddie... I think it was Peter, I don't know if Peter played that night, but there were those three and a friend of ours, Tunge, a Turkish guy who I'm still friendly with, they come up in their car from Leeds to watch the game that night. We won the game, everything was going off in the dressing room, but everything was going off in the stand as well. And there was 100,000 there, and they they were all jumping up, and and they lost the car keys, (laughs) and they couldn't find them. So they had to get a taxi back no, down. Yeah. So it cost them a right few quid, but it just showed you that 
the camaraderie, if you want, or the feeling or the importance of the game. And we won the game, and um, it was a it was a great night. And because they go one, they, they're a good side. First of all, they, they, they're, they're a very very good side. They were, the be, they were the best team in Europe at the time. In '76, they won the European Nations. We had them in '74, and then we had them again in '78. They were a top team, mm -hmm. and they took the lead. And then Big Jim scored. Big Jim Holton. Big Jim Holton. Six foot scored. two. Yeah. Eyes of blue. Great header. And then, you know, the game was just not ebbing away, but it needed a lift, which you do with substitutes. And uh, well, they were going to put me on. I think it might have been for Kenny. I'm not sure. I think it was Kenny. So I went on, and you know, we were taking the game to the opposition. I think Billy nearly, Billy's had something scrambled away and the balls went out. Billy's hit the post. Has he? Yeah. Billy's hit the post, you're exactly right. A lovely little free kick, which I wondered if it came off the Leeds training ground, but it's a lovely little free kick, hits the post and I'll yeah. shut up now. And then the ball's gone out and uh, Willie Morgan's crossed it. I, and and I, I could sense that the ball was coming into the box and I, I wasn't mad because I, I, I made a run, you know, I made a run and again, it was a lot of players still in there because of the previous incident and, and I just it was a diving header uh, getting in between players and it was just put headed in the corner it proved to be the winner and I ended up um, Dennis was playing Dennis was still he was playing there and, and the game was going on and I remember Dennis as the game was going on coming up and hugging me putting his arm around uh, my shoulder he shouldn't be doing that in a game, you know, the game's yet to be won, but he, that was one little touch of what it meant to a guy like that. And another one was was the importance, I think it was me, David Harvey and Billy, we went out that night and remember Alec Cameron? Oh, Chiefy, yeah. yes. For, for younger listeners, yeah. um, a, a titan of a journalist. Yeah. A difficult man sometimes, but yeah. a leader. Well, he was he was one of the the celeb journalists at the time. Wasn't yes, he? yes. And I remember going. Up, <clears throat> we went out. Me, Billy, David Harvey, Dennis Law, Dennis's brother, few. And we we, we went because it was <clears throat> in those days. There was nowhere really to go in Glasgow. It wasn't like like now. But there was a place, and we went there. And all we did, we just it was like a, a nightclub or something like that. And coming out the nightclub, which we weren't that late, had a couple of drinks, came out, and who's coming up? Sucky Hall Street. It was him, Alec Cameron. TV. It was just one of those nights everybody had to celebrate. Yeah. But the most important thing for Billy was to get back to Ellen Road. So we got the first flight back next day to get in while the players were still in, in training. Because we had that was us qualified. So and he was wanting to make, make sure that Norman and Paul Madeley and all these people knew that Scotland had qualified and we, we'd done it. We got, we got in there and they were coming off the training ground and we were in the dressing room. So he, he, he got... He, he Again, got for younger there. listeners, England hadn't quite made it because and of the Poland game when Norman actually had been caught out for the... Yeah, they, they never made it. So Billy was trying to be there just to be there for them to commiserate and no, to no, they never, no, 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 no. <laughs> they, they, were, they still hadn't played that game. All right. They were still involved in the qualification group. When we went back, and we went for a warm down and that, but Billy wanted, you know, because you can imagine people like Billy and Dennis Law and I, they'd had to endure <laughs> for quite a number of years, years of it, yeah. England's involvements in World Cups and, and Scotland's not. So Billy had his, 
they never said anything, they just just been there. But they had to answer, them, oh, well done last night, you know. <laughs> And uh, there was an age, you know, there was a lot of banter uh, between the Scots and the Englands, but, you know, people underestimate the English players, how much it meant to them as well to beat the Scots. They loved it. You know, whether you're a Norman Hunter or a Brian Robson or all these errors and that, they absolutely loved But so did it. We, we did. So when we got our opportunity... Of the two we're going to talk about, that was... a. Neil, we've talked about it at breakfast time, your movement for that. And Willie Morgan uses the outside of his right foot, which I think was not necessarily something that we saw all the time for the little cross. And your movement, the little floating head and the joy of everybody, that was a significant goal and a beautiful goal. We also score the winner against England, if I'm right. You get a... You get yeah, yeah. That would, that would be going away. How do those two goals measure up for you in terms of... Because you have to have a personal impact. You play for the team. You're a good professional. You're a meticulous professional. Great career. When you bottle these moments up and you take them away on your own? Well, so, I mean, I, I was fortunate to play in, in quite a number of Scotland-England games. And each one was as important as the last or the one to come. I think we play... Scotland-England game is one of the most important games of the year, of the season. It was then, uh, because it was, it was a, a sort of recognition as well. If, you, if you're playing for your country at the end of the year and it was against England, uh, well, you couldn't have been doing too bad, you know? So you, you were there and, and you get picked and that. So I, I had mixed success and we won some, we lost some, but there were great games to be involved in. But a European night or a World Cup qualification, why were you looking at? A Hamden Park takes some beating. Because the crowd as well, you know, Scotland had a great record there in that era, uh, playing at Hamden Park. And we, we did qualify a, a number of times and uh, it was an intimidating place to, to play. When we, we mentioned Czechoslovakia and I think we got it again because I think that that team, for the young people now, they won't realise how, how good or strong a team that was. But to play at Hamden Park against, we were a decent team, and for that 100,000, you had to have a bit of bottle. And uh, we uh, we won in two occasions, in you, two qualification groups. You scored the next time against them as well, don't you? I did, yeah. yeah. We beat them. When they're, I think they're European champions by that stage. They were yeah. European champions, yeah. And a, a mature team, uh, experienced. They had beaten us, or they did beat us. Because I remember I played with Andy Gray up front, I think, in, uh, in Prague. We got beat. Anyway, when it came down to the game at Hamden Park. It was a huge, important game. And we won 3-1. And that was, that was another night. But I think that the previous one in, in 74, because of the break from doing it before, but also, like I've, I've touched on, Billy and, uh, and Dennis, they were the ones, that was the barometer, really, of looking at them, what it meant to Scotland, you know, the supporter, the journalist, the staff, the players, uh, the ex-players, everybody involved with Scottish football. They aim, they aim too, and, and I'm sure there's other examples, but what it meant, because they hadn't done it. You're climbing up the ladder to play at the top, and the top's playing in a World Cup. You're playing against the best, and like Billy, who is a good example of, Billy was a great player, and, and a great guy, a great captain. But he wanted to play against the best. Billy he wasn't arrogant, but Billy knew he was a, a good player. And Billy wanted to prove, 
not to go and showboat. He wanted to go and tackle and pass and score goals against the best. Like we mentioned Cruyff and that. That's what Billy wanted to do. He wanted to compete against, you know, Jairzinho, all these players. They wanted to, they wanted to do that. Do you know what? He was made for the Champions League. Where whatever you do or don't like about the comparison, the European Cup and the Champions League. If you have a good career, if you're a talented footballer like he was, like you are, you'll play against all the greats of the world over and over again during a six, seven year period. Mm. And as an appreciator of football, that's one of the things I adore about the Champions League for its flaws or its bonuses. That would have given him that opportunity five or six times a season, yeah. every season in Europe, <coughs> had that yeah. competition existed then. Obviously, it, it didn't. So that is what players like that, real top drawer players, Dennis Law, world class, Billy, world class, that's what they wanted to do because that was the level that they wanted to play at and to show that I'm equal or better. They wanted to do that and they had been unfortunate that it hadn't happened to them. So they had they'd qualified for the Munich 74. And so me, um, I'm looking at all this going on and I'm just like coming into the game at that level and, and see what it meant to them, then you, you realise. Of the, I think only um, three players in history have scored in four World Cups, one of whom is Pelé. You scored in three World Cups, which of the experiences would be, if we always just about didn't get through, which of the three experiences would have been your favourite? Well, oh, it's a tricky one to say because um, you don't want it to uh, sound as if you're, you're being uh, blasé about it. You take a World Cup and it's on, on right, even Argentina where things didn't go well, what an experience that was. What a learning curve that was. And Spain as well. I played my last game for Scotland in Spain against Russia. My last game. I had a wee feeling on that as well. I was be 31 or something like that. Anyway, but I think going to a World Cup for the first time, I'm going to a World Cup for the first time, and I keep mentioning him because he's my teammate, but Billy Bremner is going to a World Cup. That was fantastic. And I do, like I say, Billy, I do remember... Because it was all new to me, I, I remember the number of, of journalists that would come to like, training sessions constantly, every day. And I remember Billy trying to look after me with all these journalists, you know, because I was, I was a kid and I'm going to a World Cup. And that was part of his car. But, so Billy, Billy was, he was like that, you know, he wouldn't let anybody take... I mean, just watch, watch out for a kid who might say things too openly yeah. or honestly. Yeah, they, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't want people to take advantage or, or stitch you up or whatever you want to put it across. Billy would be there. Not, I mean, I, I am a bit savvy, but even in those days, but Billy was extra cautious, you know. So that, that was one, one role. But it was all new to them as well. The, the 74 World Cup was a, an un, unbelievable eye-opener. The unfortunate thing is that I wouldn't say we underperformed because I don't think we did. I think maybe in the other World Cups, I think maybe we did or didn't achieve what we should have done. But in 74, we were really unlucky. It was goal difference. We played Zaire in the first game, win it, maybe should have won it by more. And I think if the game, well, I know, if the game had been played last, 
then they would approach that differently. We won 2 nothing, and we kept the ball. Does the Heat play a factor? No, I don't think so. I think the fact that you're winning 2 nothing and the game is dead. You've, you've, you've won the game, you're in a tournament, you've got two other games to come in that group. So you just I, conserve a wee yeah, bit of... Yeah, I think you keep, you know, you're trying to be, not, not clever, but you're trying to analyse the structure of progressing through. And uh, as it turned out, it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't a good tactic, but who, who's to know in hindsight, you know? So we, we didn't. They're off-putting as well because when you have a free kick, one of their players breaks from the wall and runs away. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Kicks the ball away famously, yeah, doesn't that, he? You don't know what's going to come next then, do you? <laughs> Not really. No, no it, it, was, it was great and we played. It's cruel then, the next one, because it's meant a, lo- a lot to Billy to finally make a World Cup. Yeah. It's Brazil, yeah. the world, world champions. champions. Speaking as a proud fan, I thought we played them off the pitch. Yeah, we, we, we played really you, well. Sorry, I thought you played them off the pitch. Uh, no. And we should have won. We should have won. And, and Billy just has a wee moment of bad luck with either the ball doesn't quite come to him or he's taking a stride too much. Or, uh, I just uh, don't think he could get his feet sorted yeah, out. Yeah. Uh, I think I had a header come down. Uh, there's a rebound that comes back to him <clears throat> and he's no more than a yard. It was a, it was a great chance. But unfortunately, because the performance was good enough to, to win the game, which would have set us up to go through. <laughs> it was a real disappointment. Um, my, my first experience as well is, is going away for a long period of time. I think we played in Belgium and in Norway and then eventually going to Munich, Frankfurt, that's Frankfurt and Dortmund. It was, it, it, it was, in it was, you know, those players, that group of players, real, real good players, good team. It was a good team and um, we should have done better. Undefeated, out by goals, Argentina, Mad for various different reasons. One of the funniest, saddest stories, because Ali McLeod by that stage had managed Aberdeen, so his boy had been at school. We'd loved Ali because he was eccentric, he brought us a trophy, and the SFA hadn't deemed it important to study Peru properly, and Peru could really play. Peru could really, really play. I'm not sure what happens in Iran, but thanks to you and your knockdown and Kenny's goal and Archie's performance against Holland, we're I think we're about a goal off going through. Yeah, we're a goal away, goal and, away from. And Ali McLeod admits that Johnny Rep picks the ball up. He shouts mm. at him, typical Ali McLeod. I go and shoot, and, and yeah, he does. Well, I don't know if that's. I mean, it's <laughs> Ali who told it. I know. I've, oh, I've heard him tell it. He, he was in the dugout going, "I go on and shoot," which is typical Ali. And mm. Johnny Rep bursts the net from seven hundred metres away. No, well, you, you, you've covered uh, the emotions of it. Um, it was it was a crazy a crazy uh, build up to the World Cup, you know. Hamden Park, I think it was about fifty, sixty thousand people came to, to watch us go round and say cheerio and then go down to Presswick and all the people on the flyovers. That was a sort of um, belief that the people of Scotland we had of winning the World Cup and at that point there had been no a European nation had gone to South America and won it. We were supposed to be favourites to do it. It was a, a little bit, a bit heavy that, you know. But, but we went there and um, Peru had a good team. When we took the lead and then uh, Kubilis got them back into the game, e- even, as you say, 
we're looking at, at, at Peru and I don't think that we underestimated them. Where we didn't prepare, probably, I don't know. Uh, were we good enough to beat them? Yeah, we were good enough to beat them. I, I think even then, I, I do remember myself having a couple of chances that were saved. Uh, not, I, I don't think there were things that I'd look back on and say, well, that was a must have sitter there. I, I, but there was chances. We came out of that game and I think we, our confidence took a bit of a, a kick in that day. And going into the Iran game was a, a strange game. It was it, for a World Cup. It was it was flat. It was such that we've been knocked knocked out by Peru. You know, we, we were going there to win a, a World Cup, and this team Peru had knocked us. And I, I think it hit everybody for six. You know, and the, the games come quickly, and we we did get a point from it, uh, and it kept us in touch and distance of, of getting through, but. The Peru, Iran, and um, the Holland games, the Iran game was the one that we made the mistake. It, it, drawing against Iran was a killer. That, that was, I know. And it was just attitude, or, or it was a no, it was lack attitude. of confidence. Yeah, lack of confidence. That gut, it, it, gut blow that it was a, it was It was a, a blow. It, it was just, it was a shock, you know, to be put in a position uh, from being on such a high, then all anyone ever spoke about or heard about was that Scotland were coming home. There's two games to go. Mm. And it was over, you know. People got to remember, the, the World Cup in 74 and the World Cup in 78, Scotland were in the limelight. There's nobody else there. There's no England, there's no Northern Ireland, there's no Wales, there's no era. There's nobody there except Scotland. That's in 74 and 78. We're the only team that's qualified. So the focus, the spotlight is on Scotland all the time. Whatever, whatever's done off the pitch on whatever. So that's why there was a lot of pressure. I'm not saying the pressure, it certainly wasn't the pressure, but it was the expectation and what had happened there in that first game, this shouldn't be happening. But it, it did happen and I think the reaction to that was such that that went against us, you know. And there's the, there's the huge travel. I'm, I'm led to believe that the training camp wasn't a lot of fun... Some people burst out of it. There was the Willie Johnson thing. It must have felt at a certain stage that kind of, what the hell, how many mirrors have we broken here? Yeah, well, I think um, we were, this name will come in, uh, Alta Gracia. Alta Gracia was the training. And it, was, it, was, it was a bit far out. It was too far out. It was out in the prairies, so to speak. Lovely little village. Nothing really went right. And nobody like, broke out of the... Um, the uh, the training complex, let's call it, or the hotel, or the whatever. You know. Someone jumped over the fence, <laughs> but you know, there was a gate. But the gate was, you go there, and they never wanted to go there, so they just jumped the fence. So they jumped the fence. These two guys jumped the fence. It was a security guy with a gun, you know, in the bush, with a gun. So I, so I had to take them back <laughs> really and put them in the. And you've got to come out this way. All right, we'll come out this way. So they, you had to clock in, clock out. But it was just uh, one unfortunate thing after the other. But the, the, the main thing is, is is playing the game, you know. Play the game. I mean, Cruyff never went, did he? And, no, he didn't, no. He didn't go, and there's numerous stories. But, and uh, one was kidnapping. Yeah. And that's why the security guys were there, the Alta Gracia, but Cruyff never went because his, his family, I think, had... They were managed, yeah. yeah, that's right. You can, you can understand them for doing that. 
so it was a different time, but I, I, I just think the Iran game was the game. I look back on it and you beat Iran and you can win it. You know, you, can, you, you get through. So we end up with true Iran, which was a poor result. In my World Cup experience, I haven't lost many games in the World Cups I went to, but that was like losing a game. That's um, the low. Yeah. Because Holland are still a good side with it, Cruyff. They, they got the final, and then there's a stage where Scotland are 3-1 up and pushing for the fourth. 3-1 up, goal to score. You play your part. We, we're in top early. We played well. We deserved to win the game there. Well, as it, as it was, they went all the way at the final. And could have won it, but um, when you're in those circumstances, you got you got to get the breaks. You need a, a, a slice of luck. We had done well in the game, but instead of three-one up, with to score a goal. It was three-one up, and they scored a goal. So you're back to having to score two more goals. You're giving yourself too much to do, and that's why I look back on the Iran game. The Iran game was. Because in the Iran game, I can't, can't look back and say we deserved any more. I've, I've given you a few hard luck stories there about, about Scotland and, and, and Leeds and European Cup finals and that. That, that. That's my feelings, that's the truth. That's the way that we are. We should, we should have beat Bayern Munich and, and AC Milan in those, in those cups. But against Iran, I can't look back on it and think, nah, we were unlucky. I, I just, it was a, a game where we, we we didn't impose ourselves, we didn't make the chances, and um, what we deserved was a draw. That was one I reflect on, and it was, it was poor. It's vital to me that we appreciate the, the fact that you're selected and taken to Italian football, because that was, I thought that was extraordinary. I was, I was so thrilled that you went to AC Milan, and, and it was a time when there wasn't an internet. The, it, you couldn't Skype home. There wasn't necessarily a role model. It, what was the process of getting ready to go and play and live in Italy like? Because it, the cultural change, I, I think people won't understand how huge the cultural change was. It was my last chance. I, I, I wanted to go and, and play. I, I got an offer to go and play with Bayern Munich after the, the Leeds Cup final. They asked me and I, I wanted to go. Tempting. I, I was, and they wouldn't, Leeds wouldn't let me go. So I was looking at that and I thought it was a, a, a missed opportunity. When my contract expired at Manchester United. The circumstances were I got an offer to go, I had a couple of offers to go and play in Italy, and AC Milan, they were the only club I was going to go to. I could have went to other clubs in England. I wasn't leaving Manchester United for anybody other than an opportunity to fulfil an ambition, which was to play abroad. And I went, and yeah, it was, it was all different. We arrived there, my missus, I'm away in Retiro, for weeks on an end sometimes and my, my missus is there and we've got three kids and the eldest is three. I mean, she had, she had uh, her hands full. Uh, it was a different culture. Retiro means that the club takes you away and you're gone. You're and in you're a training gone. camp and goodbye. Yeah, that's it. It happens, not regular, but it does happen. Uh, but the club were great. The president's wife used to come round and take her to the supermarket. The club were brilliant. We arrived at the house. We had this house in a, a, a little village outside Milan. For example, you know, we, we did take some furniture, but the, all, all you know, TVs and fridges, and there was water, and all the food you could imagine. It was all set up. You know, they never missed a trick. They'd done everything for us. It is a different culture, but I, I, you just go with the flow. You're in Italy, live like an Italian. It's no great hardship. It's, it's, it's a wonderful way of life. But you can't 
go there and expect to live like a Glaswegian or, or a Cockney. You go and you live there, millionaires. And I looked upon it as one of the best, best chapters in, in my, uh, my career going there. It was tough. It really was tough because it all, it's all down to results and things like that, but I would have not have missed it and neither would my family for anything. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. You might have done stuff then because you, you, you're changing the football culture and learning to play it differently. You're trying to be at a physical peak. You're trying to score goals, cope with the pressure, learn the language. And that's the thing to me that football people don't necessarily enjoy learning languages, but some do, some try. But to be mentally fresh, to put in the hours to learn a language, when you've trained really hard or had to cope with young kids or, you know, a different weather and different food, that's an extra mental energy that you've got to put in each yeah, night. Yeah, it drains you. Yeah. It drains you. If you, you know, even, I mean, I, I had Fougier, who was my little interpreter when I was away in Retiro when I first went there. And he, he wasn't a teacher, but we, we, we did try. He's English, he's French, he's Spanish. It was unbelievable. And we would sit down at night and work for a bit and he would try to get through to me the basics of it, you know, which, which you would have to know on the training pitch, you know. But I've got to say, never mind learning lines, if you, you are someone who, who goes into a country and you, and you know the language fairly well and you speak it, and you haven't spoken it for a bit, and you go and you, you speak it for an hour or two, it drains you. When you're talking to someone and you're in conversation, you're in company and you're trying to converse with people and be on the ball hear what they're saying to respond to it, it, it drains you. So that, that is an, an issue. And is, I think it is important you make an effort to try and learn the language, no matter what profession you're in. Or what, you, you've got to learn because you've got to respect the country you're in. And I've got to say, it is a great country. Mm -hmm. I, I go back regular. I've got some 
great friends there. I wouldn't have missed it for the world. As hard as it was, I say it was a, the, the best career move I ever had. Following in the footsteps of the great John Charles, who you've already mentioned, maybe the biggest success of a British footballer abroad, I don't know, still regarded as one of Serie A's all-time greats. I never realised. I, 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 John Charles would be one of the biggest foreign successes from any country. He was unbelievable. The, the position he held, and not just the, the Juventus fans, but in Italian football. I remember going, watching the TV one night and there was a film, and it was him and Savori, and they were in the dressing room. And it was really mind-boggling where he stands. Unbelievable. And, and say, for example, the Gazzetta della Sport or something like that, uh, every so often, say Juventus were playing Inter, and then we take a, a, a famous game in the 60s, they, they would show the article of it, and the teams, and John, and John, and John had done this, Safori had done that, the two had done that. He was, an he was unbelievable. The gentle giant, a brilliant Welshman, played in the World Cup, at least one anyway. I think we're not going to have time to do him justice now, but another forgotten great, great oh, he was, British football. Great what football. he uh, What he did for British football, I mean, he went there and over a span. He went to Rome, but his time at Juventus and that team was phenomenal. He was as big a name there as anybody. That's how he is. I know it's, it's, I'm not just throwing it away. That's the impression I get from talking to journalists who watched him play, players, supporters. John Charles was immense. It's lovely to see. I wish this was a visual medium because you've got a happy mm, grin on your a, face because you're talking about a great man. You encountered a young Franco Baresi at Milan. Yeah, I did. I, he was young in years. When I first went there, Franco would have been maybe eight, no, 19, 20, 20 maybe. He'd already won the Serie A championship. And he was, as he showed him, and there's not much I can say about him, the boy was world class. But he was, you, you were an experienced, successful professional, and he was a young boy, but if I remember well from how you've talked about that era, he was already trying to impose his thinking and his version of football, on, or not impose, he was a professor even at that age of trying to say, this is how you should play, how we might play, this is what it's like here. I remember, I remember him um, because the game there was different. And I, I do remember me going there and chasing, closing people down and working to try and get the ball. And I, I remember Frank Abarese said, leave it, mm -hmm. leave it. And that was hard for me. Because it was ingrained in you from yeah, weeks. Yeah, because that was the way that the, you, you went about it in, in, uh, in England. Mm -hmm. No, you, you did put pressure on people. And so you had to, and, and this was Franco, who was a, a, a young player, tremendous player. But in saying, saying that, so Franco was one that, that would, um, not coach you, but would give you an insight to what, what you have to do as a team, not just as an individual. But I do remember that Franco, a couple of years after it, when Saki came, and Saki said to Franco, be patient, just give me three months. Give me three months, just, this is what I want you to do. He, he was prepared to learn and, and absorb and, and take that on, what they wanted to do, which was pressing as well, play a higher line. And Franco became then, from being a sweeper uh, behind two markers or whatever, Franco became a back four and leading wh 
Saki wanted on the pitch and, and how high and when and where that unit, that team played. You describe something that's very, very fundamental in Italian football because in those days, that one man behind two markers meant a back five and it meant that thou shalt not pass. Yeah. And, and I remember Lippi telling me when he was coach at Juventus that he, when he was a player at Sampdoria, he played in that role and he was told, if you even see the halfway line, we'll find you and drop you. Mm. Never mind, cross it. Mm. And he swore then, Lippi, that if he was ever a coach, he would change all that mm. and he would, yeah. and he borrowed from Saki and pressed high. But Brazy moving from that five under Saki to a four, yeah. it doesn't sound like a lot, but it was an entire philosophical oh, leap. It's complete, completely different. Saki, was, obviously, he was a top coach now, but you, you look at what they, they had that team. They had Franco Brazy and Maldini, two world class. Three Dutchmen, three world class players. So he has five world class. Then he had, I played with uh, Franco. In my second year, they had a clear out at Milan and it gave the opportunity for some younger players. They had a, they were, they were what's he, lucky. You know, it was there. Mm -hmm. And there was players came in that were there, but they, they got more of a foothold in the team. Tassotti was there and, and he, he was already in the team. But you had like people like Ivani. Ivani, yeah. There was a group there that were just waiting for the opportunity and they got it and they eventually went on World Cups. Mm -hmm. Ivani, I think, scored the goal in the World Club Championship, played in the European Cup final. These players, there was a great youth in that club at the time. Unbelievable. There was a wee, a wee boy called Romano who, who en ended up playing with uh, Napoli with um, uh, Maradona. Top player. Yeah. There was a boy called Battistini who ended up, I don't know how he came to do it, but he ended up playing with Inter Milan and he, he played with me. They, they had Serena. You've done us a wonderful thing because we, earlier on we interviewed Frank McAvenny and we pinpointed a very early match for him, an under, under 21 match, I think, where Scotland knocked Italy out mm -hmm. in the European semi final and Battistini was playing. Was Frank it? scored the goal, it was 1 0 in Italy. Nil-nil at home, and it was, it was I, I don't know who all played, Neil Simpson played, Frank. But Battistini played and went on, as you say, I think, touching 400 Serie A appearances, uh, he, plus he, a title with Inter, one title, yeah. I think. Well, he would be maybe 18 when I was here, 19. Because there were eight two, because I remember, because when I uh, was at uh, Milanello, we were going to train at Milanello, and we'd, we'd go up on the, the team coach and that. They two lived in Milanello. They stayed there, their families, but they were too young so to live outside, so they stayed in the camp. And I, I do remember them, because we'd finished training, get changed, and the bus had to leave at a certain time. But they too would still be on the pitch, mm -hmm. kicking the ball, free kicks and that. And the two of them, they, they, they had talent. But that AC Milan team, it changed, and all the young boys came in, and it, that was the start of it, you know. Didn't you have, before we leave Milan, didn't you have a quite pleasant derby experience there? Oh, I said you won one for them. No, I, I did score. I scored my first derby, which I think it was like our FA Cup. It was FA, the FA Cup. It was um, it, it was a bit heated. Yeah, yeah it was. <laughs> but it was it was an early. People, uh, people who haven't seen it don't, don't understand how ferocious. Oh, it was unbelievable. The derbies they are. They were. Um, they were great games to play, and that, that was um, that was pressure. They were pressure games. That was a, uh, People around you, on you for weeks saying, don't well, lose, don't lose. 
I remember my first experience after the game, my wife was at the game and she came in the car and we couldn't get to the car. After the game, it was a night game, so we had the following day off and we couldn't get to the car. Couldn't get there. It was incredible. Mobbed with fans. Yeah, just the, 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 a lot of people in this country, they watch the game and then they just go home. Mm. They, they don't go home. They were all outside the San Siro. And uh, that was uh, that was an eye opener. <laughs> Things are different when you get beat, but anyway. There was one game interruption. I don't know if it was like this for you, but I went to a, a Champions League quarterfinal when United won the treble, and um, the return leg at Inter, I had never. There was fruit, fruit thrown from every, and it's a high old, impressive stadium, San Siro. But there was every brand of fruit had been <laughs> thrown on the pitch. As far as the cops and the officials were concerned. That's what you do. Yeah, that was it, yeah. No, that, it was, uh, I've said before, like a great experience. It's, it's, a, it's a lovely place, Milan. My daughter lives in Milan now, so it gives us another opportunity to go and, uh, and visit it. Um, but I made a lot of friends there. Maybe, I, I don't know how much energy and patience you have, and I don't know what I'm allowed to ask now. It would be unjust, I think, to ignore Verona. Oh, Verona. Because you... you I can say you personally laid the foundations for a title challenge the following year, but it must have been an experience which was culturally fantastic too. To I know you've made a football decision and it keeps you in Syria for another year, but you were living in a place that is it's almost unequaled in Europe. Verona is a, a lovely place to take a family now. When uh, when it, it came to an end for me at Milan, and, and a, it, it was a bit of a landmark because it was the first time in my career where someone is saying to me, ta-ta, you know, that, that's it, you know, you're not getting a new contract. And I, I was, um, I'd be 31 or 30, something like that. Anyway, so it was a blow. There was a couple of clubs interested and uh, one or two of the players said, go to Verona. And I, I don't think I'd been, I'd played against Verona a couple of times, but it'd been the San Siro and won because it'd been a problem. Verona had to play away from home. Now, it's a beautiful... But they, they love their football there. But I would say, without any argument, it's the most beautiful place I've, I've lived in. I've still got uh, some of the players. I keep in contact with them. We went last year. We stayed in Laga de Garda. Went into Verona. Went to watch the games. And I say to people, and when we talk about them, they say, we talk about Rome, Florence. I say, have you been to Verona? No. I say, you've got to go to Verona. <laughs> It's, I see it's like Rome, only smaller. It is a magnificent place. And I, I, so the players, so I, I met uh, Machete, who was a generale sportivo, met him, great guy. And uh, there was no, no, no problem. You know, it was, a, as you said, a chance to continue my career there in Italy. I could have come back home. I didn't, I wanted to stay there. I went there and um, it was, in many ways, it was a great, a great year for me. They were a good team. They were a good team. You could tell things were happening because they do oh, they pretty promptly thereafter. They do complete one of the most extraordinary well, seasons in Italian history yeah. by winning the title. Yeah. The, you um, knew something was happening? Yeah, yeah, because I'd played against them. I'd played against them and um, they were consistent. But I, I went there, uh, manager, uh, Bagnoli, who ended up, he could have went anywhere, Bagnoli, ended up going to Inter Milan, top manager. The pre-season went great up in the mountains. 
the players that they brought in to what they had there. I would say after Leeds, it, it is the best dressing room, like a t togetherness. And even now, I, I mean, I, I went uh, last February and we went out for a meal and there was three or four of them. When we, they were there, we phoned them up. We all went out for a meal uh, and Machete, Director Sportivo, he was there. And they're, they're, they're still together, mm. you know, they still that have- bond's them. been solid. Yeah, and uh, I was impressed with that. My last game for Verona was the Italian FA Cup final. We played Roma. So, yeah, they, they were a, a team then. And then, obviously, they added to it. I went, uh, Zmuda, he was uh, the Polish captain. He went and they brought in a couple of more uh, Italians. Elkjar, I think. Elkjar and Brigo. Elkjar and Brigo. There was only allowed two foreigners at the time. And... Um, I say it did surprise. It did but that was an incredible. That's like what Leicester are doing yes. now. But when you analyse it, they were a team. They had a great balance in that team. You know, they had the stars, they had their, their workmanlike players, they had their goal scorers, their centre halves who did what they're supposed to do. So no, it wasn't a surprise that uh, they were competing for the, the Serie A, but they eventually won it. But I'm, I'm never shy again back there. It's, it's a, a beautiful place. You, you come back and Southampton finish as high as I think they've ever finished with Laurie McMenemy in charge, with you scoring the goals. A young Letitia coming through who you must have seen as a, you played with, you saw as a, as a budding young talent, one of the most incredible and I still think slightly unheralded, slightly underappreciated talents that Britain has produced. And I speculate that maybe you would have, you could have done with stripping three or four years off your age and playing with that supply chain for... Yeah. Well, I enjoyed... Four more five years. Yeah, I, I enjoyed... I mean, I came back and Southampton were a good choice for me. Big Laurie, actually, I, he, he'd rang me a few times in my time in Italy, but I had no wish to come home. But once my three years up, the, the kids were at an age then. And in the long term, I was going to be back here in, in England so that we had to get the education sorted out. And I wanted to come back. And Southampton were a good team and a good choice. I enjoyed working for Big Laurie and it was good players uh, and like they're, they're doing now Southampton, bringing young boys through. I mean, even then, um, you, you had Letizia, you had uh, the Wallace, the two twins and, and Danny. Um, numerous players, numerous. Uh, Alan Shearer, when I left, he was, he was just arriving. So it just shows you continuity, the flow of players. Even then, it, it was unbelievable. Uh, but I enjoyed my spell there. Because I, w I was playing in a team, we actually qualified in the last game we beat Liverpool. Or we got a result again, I can't remember. Anyway, we qualified for the Euf Europa League. And it, we, we never got in it because of the, the high school thing. It was, it was the same year as that, so it was the ban. I found it much easier to understand than most people seem to, that you and Harry would be a productive partnership. I'm not sure where, whether you played against each other at West Ham and Leeds or not. I'm not sure where you first met. But in terms of values, in terms of football intelligence, in terms of outlook and how the game might be played, I saw it as being a natural fit. Two men that respect the game, understand the game, have similar beliefs and standards, and therefore I, I, I'm not at all surprised that it was a good partnership. But um, where would the highlights of that be for you in terms of finishing the... Portsmouth and the FA Cup or the Champions uh, League Champions or League. I've got Canu on an airport carousel, carousel where he can't walk in it. He was some player. 
Cannon. I seen him playing for Ajax and, and Arsenal. But wh wh when you work with a player or you watch a player in training, then you can testify. You can see he was a fantastic player. You know, for a, elegant in a different way, not like a Cruyff, but his feet, his body position, his relationship to other players and how to play with other players, appreciation. So that, that's, that spell at Portsmouth where you were up against the odds. I, I, I loved that. That, that was, that was that's great. That's a good expression, yeah. It really, I mean, we had some great times here. I mean, you know, there was maybe the first season I was here, maybe only one about three or four games away from home. You know, it, it wasn't all a bundle of joy. It was, it was hard. It was difficult. But there was a lot of pleasure and satisfaction from it. I thought the crowd were great. You were all in it together. And eventually, the team improved. You know, there was no disrespect, but there was a better quality of player come through. But they were never lost what Portsmouth was about. Icing on the cake, or what it came ahead, was the FA Cup. Putting United out, if I remember. I put United that was out. A, that was unbelievable. That was the Alamo, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I, <laughs> did, yeah, it was. Did you think it was ever going to end? Well, we, not at Old Trafford. <laughs> because anything can happen. In those in Fergie's days, anything can. You could be winning... As we were, we were in 2 nothing there once with Spurs and end up getting beat six. It was that the referee changed it just by giving a penalty. And it wasn't a penalty and he gave no. it. And, he, and it, it just, like Hamden Park, Old Trafford just changed. And the support and the belief United had then, boom. They were on top of you, eh? Oh, just come through you, you know. They just a, a charge. They were coming from everywhere. But Portsmouth, we won up there. But Portsmouth were great days, and, and so were Spurs, but I look back in Portsmouth because it was a different chapter for me going in and working with Harry, who I thoroughly enjoyed. But it was up against it, and going to Wigan, second last game of the season, having to win to stay up in a run, which would, I think we had ten, the last 10 games, we had to win about six or seven, and ending up going second one before the end, already up, you know, we stay up. We get the win and one game to spare. It was unbelievable. Unbelievable. And ending up playing, or not playing, but looking at the team that's playing in front of us, good players. I don't know if it's just Harry, but he can pick a player. He, he sees player. football. Yeah, he, he, what he sees is, is what a player, like Van der Vaart playing with Peter Crouch, he sees players where they can complement each other, where they can work with each other. He's got that, he's got that in, in his head, you know, he, he visualises it. But we had, we had some terrific players at, at Tottenham, you know, Sylvain Distan, Colt Sol Campbell, uh, Harrison, um numerous players. Defoe, what, you could go on and on, the players he, he took there, Nico Cranshaw. Um, you kind of made a man out of Gareth Bale. Gareth, Gareth uh, had a bit to go. He, he wouldn't have fitted in that Leeds side in 1970s. He's, he's a, well, he's yeah. character. Well, it's a different era. As you say, that, that doesn't go on in a, a dressing room now. Nicely out of there, right? Yeah, it, it doesn't happen. And, and, and maybe that's because of the, uh, the inflow of, of, of foreign players, but that banter then, it wasn't just, you know, it, it was torture, you know. It was, it was just... And I've spoken to other players. I mean, remember Patsy Holland? Oh, aye. Patsy, I talked to him. Was that a game, Patsy? We were, we're talking, reminiscing a wee bit, and he said, oh, when he was a young boy... Uh, uh, coming through at West Ham or yeah, yeah through at West yeah. Ham their duties he's a wee bit older than me where they had to clean the dressing room so 
they had to knock the door to go in before they could collect the kit. And Patsy says, I was terrified what they were going to say to me. And he just, he says, he, he didn't know what to say because one way or another, they were going to have you. And you had to stand up on your own two feet. And that was it every day. But now, it's not like that. But it is a fact that Real Madrid benefit from Gareth and Gareth benefits from a life that it's a hard comparison to make, but I know that he actively wanted to play for Real Madrid. Never mind the money. That he turned United down and said, I want to go abroad, which I've always admired, mm. which links him to you, different people though, different kind of people though you are. But some role, some part in him being able to cope with life in Madrid, which is hard. It's a very pressurised club. I don't think learning Spanish language is his, is his forte. But you and Harry changed him, toughened him up, got him to cut his hair, as Harry explained, and, and made a, a different young footballer out of him such that he's able to do what he's doing now. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't, he, when he, when he, um, he got a run of games, when he eventually got that belief, you had to stand back and look at him. And I think some of the players did as well. See him coming into the team and getting a run. <sighs> because... Not just um, uh, mentally, but physically, he became what an athlete. Mm -hmm. What an athlete he is, other than the ability he's got. And I, I think the players were just taken, taken aback by that. Incredible. He's got that in his locker, you know. I mean, good luck to him. And uh, who wouldn't turn around down Real Madrid, you know? Opportunity to play there. We'll finish the way that we started. It's all about talent and character and if you've got that mix then the football life's a, as you say it's no hardship oh I mean people I, I wouldn't I would not change my era my time for what is on uh, the agenda now what's on the table now and there's an immense amount of money but the, the, the time that I played I wouldn't I wouldn't give it up but your man who's had a happy life I don't know I, they're, they're, I see a happy it's been a great Experience. You, you, you still like to shove in a wee bit more. Well, I wasn't stopping you. Yeah. But it's been but, a it's been a it's been a rich life full of. Oh, I mean, I look back on it, and, and, and you, I do have a chuckle now and again. And you know, to play for your country, I'm a lad. I never played for. You know, you, you get players that come through under sixteen, under fifteen, under sixteen, under eighteen, under seventeen, under. 19. I never played for any of them. I, I played for Lanarkshire, I think, Muller on Wish or something like that. And that was, that was about me, you know. So when you get the opportunity uh, and you play for, you make your debut in Scotland against England at Wembley, you appreciate it <laughs> all the more. So, no, I, I think, you know, represent your country and especially if you're fortunate enough to qualify and get into a World Cup, uh, it doesn't come any bigger than that. Football is great. And great football game. is made great by great men and, and mm. we've met one today. Fabulous pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to me. No stop. Listen, if there wasn't a cab waiting to whisk us off to the airport, then you'd have another six hours of this, I promise you. Joe Jordan, magnificent. Thank, Thank you. you. Top, top man, Joe Jordan. Uh, legend in football. Clever, successful, articulate. What a wonderful way he had with describing the characters, the anecdotes and the ups and downs of his life. I know, yes, this is a recorded segment on the podcast. It isn't live, but just bear with me. 
I've had so many requests that this is impossible to ignore. Here we go again. Ring a ding a ding, there goes Willie on the wings. Easy, easy. Ring a ding a ding, knock it over for the king. Never mind your Vindaloo or World in Motion. Not even We Have a Dream. That's how World Cup songs should be written. So the credits are that this has been a podcast produced by Backpage Press and me, Graham Hunter. Alex Adey, the star of Audio Boom, has edited it out. If there's been any glitches by me or ums and ahs and sneezes or some of Rosie's loudest barking, the music's normally by Beer Jacket, but it's been supplemented this week by an album that you can get. Everybody wants to know how you can buy the Scotland Gatefold album from 1974 starring Lulu and the Bay City Rollers and Gallagher and Lyle, plus songs like Bremner's Volunteers and Easy, Easy. Go on eBay or look for Scotland, Scotland, 1974. Phil Coulter involved for sure. Football's magic. And that's the reason that we keep making these podcasts. If you like them, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thanks to Scotland. Arthur Montford, Joe Jordan, and the hairs in the back of my neck are standing up. See you next time. Look at Billy Bremner's face. What a team effort this has been. Fans are on the pitch. Police are chasing them off. Absolute bedlam with the crowd. The crowd want to lap them on up in Scotland. They won't let them leave this field.